0: I hope you've come with a dump truck today, not a thimble. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, today I do realize my need today to step into your anointing. Lord, I thank you for the people who are here to hear this word that you're going to open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to your word, not some speculation of man. And I pray that this Lord, this message will touch many areas in our lives to help us, God, to see ourselves more clearly than we've ever seen ourselves. Lord, as we've got written out there on our sign, we're not to love the sinner and hate their sin. We're to love the sinner and hate our own sin. So Lord, today I thank You for Your anointing upon me, and I pray, God, that as I minister through the unction of the Holy Ghost, that this Word will become clear, You give me clarity, and help us, God, to receive this Word is from You in Jesus' name. Amen. While you're standing, would you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. Ecclesiastes is after uh, Proverbs. If you need help, We'll say thank you if you're here today with us for the first time. We want you to know that we welcome you and we want you to feel at home today with us. Thank you for being with us and we hope we'll see you again. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind, that's what everybody who commits suicide thinks right before they end it all. All is vanity, there's no hope, and it's a state of depression and discouragement. You can be seated. I want to talk to you today about where do people who commit suicide spend eternity. As a green, young, raw, 19-year-old minister, just having been called into the ministry, thinking that Billy Graham was going to step aside and I was going to take his place back in 1975, my first four funerals were suicides. A 19-year-old, a 25-year-old, a 50-something-year-old, and a about an 80-year-old. My first four. I was kind of getting a complex. I don't believe that there's a more difficult set of circumstances surrounding a death for a family to endure than that of suicide. Guilt and shame pours in like a flood because the family and those friends who are left behind begin to say, say things like this and ask questions. What could I have done to prevent this? I should have paid more attention. Why did I not see the warning signs? It's all my fault. I could have prevented this. But I think the heaviest burden that any family and friends and those that are left behind carries is not just the feelings of guilt, but the popular assumed notion that everybody that commits suicide automatically is lost forever and doomed to hell forever. And I can hear some people saying even this morning, well, aren't they? Suicide is, admittedly, the most selfish act a person can ever commit because they attempt to assume the role of God and choose when life ends. Their attempt to escape personal pain is one of the most selfish acts anybody could ever commit because they don't take into consideration the heartache and the heartbreak and the hell that they're going to impose upon those left behind to pick up the pieces. But does suicide warrant a person spending eternity in hell? Well, I want to answer that question of where people who commit suicide spend eternity by asking some questions this morning. And some of them are going to be kind of rather in your face, if I may. But I think this is a serious subject and it needs serious attention. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So let's ask some questions. What would drive, number one, what would drive someone to the point of taking their own life? What would drive someone to the point of taking their own life? Number one, I think there's three main things. Number one is physical pain. There are some of you that have been in physical pain to the point that death would have been a welcomed guest for you. I've been there. Anybody else been there? That you just say, I I just want to die. And the only reason some of us are still here this morning with you is because there wasn't a gun on the nightstand. Come on now. Number two is emotional distress. Not only physical pain can drive someone to take their own life, but emotional stress. If we were all honest, I think that we would all have to say that at one time or not in our life, there have been times in our lives that we have been under such emotional stress that the only difference between us and the people in the psychiatric ward is they were wearing pajamas and we were wearing work clothes. That you've just come to the place that you are at the breaking point and you're teeter-tottering on the, on the edge of a nervous breakdown. But there's a third reason, I think, that people can come to the place of desiring to take their own life, and that's this, not only physical pain and emotional distress, but spiritual hopelessness. The only factor that keeps some of us from throwing in the towel during the valleys we go through, and everyone here has gone through a valley. You've heard me say you're either going through a valley, about to go through one, or coming out of one. And every one of us, at some time in our life, the only thing that kept us from throwing in the towel was the hope that things might eventually get better. But folks who come to the place of committing suicide do not believe that things will ever be better. They take the position of the writer of Ecclesiastes 2.17 that says, all is distress, all is vanity, all is wasted. Literally what they're saying is it's never going to be any better tomorrow than it has been today, and there's no reason for me to live on. Now, physical pain and emotional stress and spiritual Hopelessness, I believe, can drive a person to the point of what I call temporary insanity. I believe that there's a place that you can come to where you would do things that you would never otherwise do in the right frame of mind. Just take it on a minor scale. Have you ever lost your temper? Have you ever become so violent that you begin to throw things and do things that if you were on the outside of you looking at you, you'd think, well, that person's lost their mind. People who commit suicide are temporarily out of their mind at the moment. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? Because God has placed inside of each and every one of us a deep desire to preserve our life and an innate desire and a bulldog tenacity to hold on to life. If you really get down to it, this old body is a pretty hard thing to get rid of. Come on, somebody. I mean, there's people can live through some just unbelievable pains and, and diseases and sicknesses and, and torments. And to act contrary to this innate desire that God has placed within us to live at all costs, I believe, has only one explanation. You're temporarily insane. You're not... At that moment, acting how God created you to be. Now, few of us here would have difficulty in believing that God's grace and His mercy covers those who are mentally uh, retarded or born mentally incapable of making rational choices. Just like we believe that the grace of God covers a child until it gets to the place where it can make a choice. Just as though there are those who are born with mental difficulties and mental incapacities in and in in an IQ of 25 or 30. We believe, most of us at least, believe that the grace of God covers that person. And of course, they're not going to go to hell. They've never come to the place of realizing what right and wrong is. And that the grace of God covers them. Now, can we not at least this morning make or or consider that there might be just a possibility that the grace of God can cover a Christian who at the moment they take their life is as mentally incapacitated at that point as someone with an IQ of 30? Because who would want to kill themselves if they were in their right mind? Now, bear with me this morning. Question number two. How can a person escape eternal punishment? How can a person escape eternal punishment if they don't have time to ask for forgiveness before they die? Have you ever thought about that? You want the answer? How can a person escape eternal punishment if they don't have time to ask for forgiveness before they die? Now, this is the primary reason most folks believe that those who commit suicide go straight to hell because they have had not had time to say God forgive me for what I did. Amen. Now, let me let's let's dig a little deeper here. How many sins does it require to send a person to hell? Good answer. One. Does it matter what sin that is? Now, this question implies that if you die with unconfessed sin, you go to hell, right? That's what we're assuming. But let me ask you a few questions to see if we really believe that. See, we say we believe things theologically until it's in our yard. And then we choose to have a little more grace and a little more mercy and a little more room for a theological adjustment in our own life. If we believe that one sin sends you to hell because it isn't confessed, let me ask you a few questions and see if we really believe this. And I'm talking to Pastor Manning, too. At this very moment, let's forget about the suicide victim. Let's think about you. At this very moment, is there anything that you have not asked God for forgiveness for? Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Let's look a little closer. Is there an attitude of hate? An attitude of prejudice? An attitude of jealousy? An attitude of pride? Do you not like this message? An uncontrolled habit. Well, let's look a little deeper. Is there a sin of omission in your life? Now, what is that? That's not doing what you... we we good about confessing those sins of commission, the stuff that we do and we know it's a sin. But did you know that sins of omission, not doing what you ought to, is just as much a sin as doing what you not ought not do. But let me ask you, is there a sin of omission in your life this morning? I mean something that you should have done but haven't. Is there anything God's asked you to do that you haven't done? May I just say boldly that you're in disobedience and in sin this morning if you haven't? And is it possible that you have done something that God views as sin, but you don't think it's sin, so you ain't confessed it? Now, if you were to fall over in the next two seconds with a heart attack, what about your unconfessed sin? Would you be in hell? Now, before I make you wiggle too much, let's, let, me, let me take the noose out from around your neck. No one has ever died with all their sins confessed. Anybody here remember all your sins? What about those sins that we don't think are sins that we commit, but we don't confess them because we don't think there's anything to confess of? Look with me at Hebrews chapter 10. Everybody still here? (laughs) Okay. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 to 14 We're going to stretch you this morning. I hear some of you stretching already. I hear buttons popping. Hebrews 10.10 By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Can we say those last three words? Once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, who is this man? Jesus, after He had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till His enemies are made His footstool, for by one offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. woo Ding, ding, ding. He has perfected forever in His death, burial, and resurrection those who are being sanctified. That means I don't have to be completely sanctified to be perfected. To be perfect in His eyes. He's perfected me forever in His sight through the blood of Jesus, even though I'm still in the process of being sanctified. Hello? Somebody Now, nearly everyone here would agree that Jesus died for every sin humanity would commit. If He didn't, then somebody could sin and there would be a sin that wasn't under the blood that Jesus didn't pay for and you'd go to hell regardless if you confessed it or not. If Jesus' blood didn't cover them all. Everybody still with me? We believe that Jesus died for all of our sins. Does everybody believe that Jesus died for all sins? Do we believe that it doesn't matter if Saddam Hussein had Called on the name of the Lord, he could have been saved. Hitler or anybody else. Your neighbor, your wife, your husband or your child. We believe that Jesus died for all sin. And we believe that if he died for all sin, that is past sin, present sin, and future sin. Jesus died for sins that haven't even been committed yet. Didn't he? Now, there's a false theology floating around all over the place in some supposedly Spirit-filled churches that teach this doctrine that when you get saved, you receive Jesus into your heart. That takes care of the sin from the time you were born until the time you were saved. But now, Jesus... When you when Jesus comes into your heart, the cross, the blood of Jesus, y'all stay with me here, the blood of Jesus took care of my sin from the time I prayed the prayer to ask Jesus into my heart, July 3rd, 1966. From the time I prayed that prayer back to the time I was born, every sin was forgiven by the blood of Jesus, by the cross of Jesus, by my confession of Jesus as my Savior. But the false theology is this. Now that I am saved, I must take care of my future sins through confessing them. And if I do not confess them, they are not forgiven. So Jesus took care of my past sins, but now I've got to take care of my future sins by confessing them. Let me ask you this. When Jesus died on the cross for you, how many of your sins were future All of your sins were future when Jesus died for you. So it's not up to you to take care of the sins up to the time you got saved by confessing and receiving Jesus, and then, or, or, or Jesus takes care of the sins that you commit from the time you were born to the time you received Jesus, and then now you've got to take care of them after you're saved. I am not co Savior. All of my sins were paid for, covered, remitted, removed, once for all, for me, when Jesus died on the cross, if I will receive Him as my Savior, He is my Savior from the time I receive Him to the time I die. It's not up to me to help Jesus forgive my future sins by confessing them. When I was saved, He forgave me all my sins, even those I have not committed yet. My confession is not what forgives my sin anyway. It's the blood of Jesus that forgives my sin. 1 John 1 7 says it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Well, what's the use to confess? Confession doesn't forgive my sins. It restores my joy, my fellowship, and my assurance. You see, the blood of Jesus is his part. Confession's my part. Now, let's dig a little deeper. Literally in the Greek tense, 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's where a lot of people believe that if I don't confess them, then He doesn't forgive them. But 1 John 1.7 says that we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus, not by our confession. Listen, folks, we're not Protestant Catholics. We don't get forgiven by confession. Confession is a work that I do. Dying on the cross is a work He did. And I'm not saved by any work I do. I'm saved by the work He did. Okay? Literally in the Greek tense, 1 John 1.9, it says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Literally in the Greek tense, that reads, if we are continually confessing, He is continually cleansing. Now let me further explain that. Sinners don't confess their sin. Only Christians do. When you were a sinner, did you confess your sins? No. Only Christians confess their sins. So what he is saying is this. The fact that we are confessing our sins assures that we are being continually cleansed. The verb tense is if we are continually confessing, He is continually cleansing. How many of you born-again Christians in here can sin and let five minutes go by without it eating your lunch and the Holy Ghost just eating your lunch and you got to get that thing confessed? Well, that's a good sign. These folks who say, well, I've been saved and I can do anything I want to now because I believe in, you know, whatever. They don't know the grace of God. If you believe that you can sin all you want to and and, 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 and it doesn't bother you and it doesn't break your heart and it doesn't make you want to confess your sin, then I, I really doubt whether you've had a, 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 a face-to-face encounter with the man of grace. That doesn't say that those of us that have a face-to-face encounter with Him must help Him keep us saved by confessing our sins. I'm glad that my salvation is not based upon my memory. And how many sins I can remember that I need to confess. Here's the best sleep aid anybody will ever give you. It's not all It's not NyQuil. It's this right here. Are you ready? If you're a born-again Christian, listen to me. If you're a born-again Christian, blood-washed child of God, you don't ever, ever, ever again need to fear going to bed, dying in your sleep, waking up in hell because you forgot to confess a sin. Can somebody say, whew! Jesus' atonement goes deeper than that. Your salvation is not based upon your ability to remember before you say night-night. Jesus' blood has forgiven me all my sins, past, present, and future. Now, unless you've got a remarkable memory and confess every sin you've ever committed, there's two things you need to be thankful of. Number one, you need to be thankful and glad for the grace of God, and you better be glad that Jesus paid for all your sins, because my memory just ain't that well. Now, back to suicide. How many of you all know that was necessary, what we just said? Back to suicide. What is suicide? Can somebody tell me, what is suicide? What is suicide? Taking your own life, self-murder. If I kill you, is it suicide? If you kill me, is it suicide? What is suicide? Taking your own life, your own life self-murder. I even looked this up in Webster's dictionary this morning, just to make sure I knew what suicide meant. Do you know what suicide is? Webster says it's self-destruction. Self-destruction. So are we all agreed at what suicide is before we go on? Self-murder. Killing yourself, cutting short your own life, self-destruction. Or or do we all agree with that? You do know you've stepped into a trap right then, don't you? Number four. Is killing yourself considered suicide regardless of what instrument you use to do it? Is killing yourself considered suicide regardless of what instrument you use to do it? If you use a gun or a knife, or pills, or a rope, or a garden hose duct tape to the tailpipe of your car running your bathroom window? Does it matter what instrument you use? If you kill yourself, is it suicide, regardless of what instrument? I told you you stepped into a trap. I had a best friend whose mom put a twenty-five up to her head and blew her brains out. The next day at work, a gentleman I worked with said, Well, I guess she's in hell, isn't she? I looked at him in the eyes, and I called him by name. And I said, "Uh, Now, you all know I'm not up here to condemn anybody for what you do. I'm making a point here, Okay. I said, there you are. I said, you smoke one cigarette after another. And I said, if in six months you go to the doctor and the doctor says, uh, man, you got lung cancer. It's cigarette lung cancer. And you, you got, you got, uh, you got three months to live. I said, uh, have you not killed yourself? It got quiet. Now let me ask you. Let's say you go to the doctor. And you go this week with short breath and your chest pains. And the doctor looks with concern and finality in your eyes and he says you've got a malignancy in your lungs and it's caused by cigarettes and you've got less than three months to live. Let me be honest with you. Three months from now, When we roll your cold, dead body in this sanctuary and park you right here with your head up here and your feet down there and a spray of beautiful flowers on your chest. Could we not honestly say if you had not smoked cigarettes, you'd probably still be alive? Could we not say that you literally killed yourself? You just used a different instrument? Could we say that it's any less suicide just because it took you three months to die? Would you want me or any other preacher standing at the head of your grave or standing up here at this pulpit with you laying here with your crying, snotting, squalling, bawling family out here saying, why did he die so soon or why did she die so soon? Would you want me up here on this platform preaching your soul into hell? Would you want your family to wear the stigma And the shame that is assigned to suicide. No. But we're quick to assign that shame and stigma to other people just because it didn't take their loved one quite as long to die as it did ours. Come on now, I hear the wheels turning, but that's good. What is it that condemns a man to hell? Question number five. Let me say this. A person's eternal destiny is not determined by the last deed they performed. May I say that again? A person's eternal destiny is not determined by the last deed they performed on this earth, whether good or bad. What is it that condemns a man to hell? Well, let's look in John chapter 3 and see. John chapter three. Now we all know John three sixteen and seventeen. We can quote that by heart. But we don't need to quit at John seventeen. John three sixteen says, Everybody, what's it say? Let's say it. No, that didn't sound like it, but I'm for sure that was it. Uh. <laughs> verse 17 says, For God did not send His world into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now here's verse 18. Here's verse 18. Here is what condemns every person to hell that's ever gone to hell. Every person that's in hell now and every person that is going and every person that will ever go... Here is why they're in hell. Look at verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. He who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Folks, you do not go to hell because of what you do. You go because of what you don't do. If you do not call upon the name of Jesus and receive the full payment for your sin, you go to hell because of What you didn't do. You are condemned because you believe not in the One that God sent. If you're saved, you're going to heaven because he who believes is not condemned. But if you're lost, you're going to hell. And listen to this. If you're lost and have never received Jesus as your Savior, you're going to hell even if you don't commit suicide. And you're going to hell even if you do commit suicide and you're not in your right mind. Because it ain't the state of your mind that decides whether you get in or not. It's the condition of your heart. Has it been washed in the blood of Jesus? Well, pastor, suicide don't sound like too bad of an option. Well, wait a minute. Christians who commit suicide will stand before God and give an account for their selfish action. And what will you say to the God that gave you life when you are standing there and you don't have your God badge on anymore? And you are assuming the role of God because you thought you could choose to take a life that wasn't yours to take. What will you say to Him? What will you say to God for committing the most selfish act a person could ever commit? There will be no right answer. There will be no justification for what you've done. The Lord gave you life. And it's not a doctor or a politician or a congressman's prerogative or privilege to say when that death occurs and when that life is no longer worth being alive, regardless of the pain you're in regardless of what you've gone through that nobody understands. It is the ultimate act of selfishness. And you're going to leave a legacy behind for your children, your spouse, your family, your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife. A black cloud will follow them the rest of their life because it doesn't matter what Pastor Manning says this morning. There's always going to be those that will point to that cloud over your head everywhere it goes that says shame, guilt, stigma. The judgment seat of Christ is going to be a place where rewards are won or lost and where works are being tried by fire. 1 Corinthians 3 says our works are tried by fire. The judgment seat of Christ is not where you determine where your eternal destiny is going to be. My friend, that is determined the moment you take your last breath. There's two judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ, which Christians will stand before and give an account and rewards will be lost or gained because of works. Your works are tried by fire. That's the same Scripture that says your works are tried by fire, but you're saved by the skin of your teeth. And you know there's some of us that's going to apply to. We got in by the skin of our teeth. If it was works, we wouldn't make it. All we've got to show for is Jesus. Amen? That's all any of us are going to get in by. But the great white throne judgment is for those that are, have, have, are condemned already because they did not believe. Don't ever sing a song that says when we're gathered around that great white throne. Now that is the wrong crowd. <laughs> if you've gathered around the great white throne, goodbye. Louise. The judgment seat of Christ is where rewards are lost or gained because of works, not where your eternal destiny is decided. And the only ones who will be rejected by God, listen to this, the only ones who will be rejected by God in heaven are those who rejected His Son on earth. doesn't matter if you blow your own brains out or get hit by a train or a frying pan from an irate wife. The only reason anybody goes to hell is because they reject Jesus. May I say that every person that's ever gone to hell has gone to hell with the hand of God reaching for them every inch of the way. Jesus came that we not be condemned. He didn't come to condemn you. Those who reject God, God's Son, will spend eternity in hell, suicide or not. Those who receive Jesus as the free gift of salvation will spend eternity in heaven, suicide or not, like it or lump it. Because your eternal destiny is not determined by any deed you've done, but by the deed of the Son of God that purchased you when all your sins were in the future. Did He not know you would do that when He died for you? Hey, hey, us self-righteous folk, aren't there some things that we've done that condemn us to hell? How many sins does it take? Have we not done some things that would condemn us to hell if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus that cleansed us? You see, different Sins have different consequences. Sure, the sin of suicide is a sin, and it has a final consequence. But so does unforgiveness have consequences. So does divorce have consequences. Been there, done that. You don't think that has consequences? Pornography has consequences, adultery has consequences. Drugs have consequences. Alcoholism has consequences. Murder has consequences. We don't tell a murderer in the prison row that's killed 15 people that Jesus won't save him. See, we're bad about putting sin in categories by how we judge them. Judge them. But with God... All sin, the wages of all sin is death. It didn't say the wages of your sins death but mine lead to life. We're all allergic to sin. It will kill every one of us. And it is killing every one of us. Look in the mirror a year from now. There'll be things that aren't where they were this year. There'll be some other things that are there that weren't here. Sin kills every one of us. And the only thing that's going to get us out of here alive is the blood of Jesus. Regardless of how we die. Now, you can hardly talk about suicide without somebody bringing up Judas Iscariot. I just don't know what God was thinking when He chose him. And there's a lot of people been saying that about me. And you. Did Judas commit suicide? Yes. He hung himself and hung there so long his belly exploded and his bowels ran out on the ground. He exploded. Did he go to hell? Yes. John 6:64 6, 70 and 71 and 17:12 you want me to give that to you again slower? John 6, well let's just look over there. Says we're in John anyway. John 6 64. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who would betray him. Who's he talking about? Look at verse 70. And Jesus answered him, Did I not choose one of you choose you the twelve, and one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas Iscariot, who was the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Now, look over at chapter 17 of John. I want to tie us all together. John 17, verse 12. This is the real Lord's Prayer. The real Lord's Prayer is in John 17. The model prayers, our Father who art in heaven. This is the real Lord's Prayer. This is the last prayer Jesus prayed for us before he ascended. Notice, in John 17:12 While I was with them in the world I kept them in your name Those who you gave me I have kept and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled Now let's tie John 6 and John 17 together When you say well Judas committed suicide and he went to hell Well yes but why did he go to hell He was not ever a believer the Bible says God Jesus knew who from the beginning was going to betray Him. Who was it from the beginning that was going to betray Him? Judas Iscariot. Why? Because Judas Iscariot was a son of perdition. He was a son of Satan. His nature was never changed. He was still a son of the devil, not ever a son of God. So you can't say... Everybody that kills themselves is going to hell because they kill themselves. Any more than you say everybody that drives a car is Dale Jr. It don't add up. The reason Judas Iscariot went to hell was because he was a son of perdition. He had time to repent, and he did not. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. The scary thing is he did some of the things Jesus did. Uh. And if you know when Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, and, and you don't have any part of me, well, we've cast out devils. We've raised the dead. We've prophesied. Now, he wasn't talking about the Baptists and the Methodist y'all. He's talking about us. They don't do that. Now, if that won't put a little fear in you, britches, it's those that go around claiming Lord this and Lord that. And he says, I never knew you. Now notice, he, he didn't say, well, I knew you then. I knew you in 66. But then I didn't know you in 71. But then I knew you again when you went to the altar in 74. And then I didn't know you again in 83. And I knew you, but I didn't. Then I did. Then I didn't. Then I did. Then I didn't. And who gave the word? God can't even keep up with all that. He said, I never, ever knew you. Never is a word that means in the Greek. Never <laughs> and it means that in Hebrew too never it means that in Roebuck Pauline Arkwright, Arcadia Innerie. never is never he was not a believer he went to hell because he refused to Leave, not because he honed himself. Is that clear? This guy that I worked with says, I guess she's in hell. Listen, y'all. You don't know if I do drop dead of a heart attack right here preaching where I'm going to be in ten minutes. Can you say for an absolute that you know where anybody is going to spend eternity and the condition of anybody's heart. The Bible says the heart is wicked above all things. Who can know? You don't even know your own heart, much less mine. I don't even know my heart, much less yours. Who am I to say, well, I'll just what She's in heaven singing with the angel. Well, I don't know about that. I think one of the confusing things when we get to glory is the folks that ain't there that we thought would be there and the folks that meet us that we thought they're going to hell in a handbasket. Because, see, our criteria for who makes it and who don't make it ain't the same as God's. We judge by actions. We judge by what we saw. We don't know their heart. On a bad day, your heart ain't so good. On your best day, it ain't good enough to go to heaven. Come on, somebody. And on my worst day, it ain't bad enough to go to hell because I've been washed in the blood past, present, and future. See, if anything I can do undoes what he did, i got more power than he's got. I am kept, Peter said, by the same power that saved me. And if I'm not, we're all in a mess. A person's eternal destiny is not determined by any deed they've done. It's by one thing and one thing alone. And that's this. It's not if they had time to confess their sin before they died. It is what did they do with Jesus Christ, the only name under heaven whereby men may be saved. What did they do with the free gift when God gave it out and extended it to them? Did they reject it? Did they spurn it? Did they turn their back on it? Or did they receive it and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? I don't know about y'all, but I have figured out that the reason Jesus came to die for sinners is because we sin. I am not a sinner noun, but I am a sinner verb. I'm a saint noun. Because you're either a saint or a hank. There ain't no in-between. You're either a saint or a sinner. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner, and I was saved by grace. But I am a saint. I'm a child of God who still sins. Verb, not noun. Any of you told a lie this last week? Are you a liar verb or a liar noun? Just because you lied this week, does that make you a liar? See well, we're, getting in, we're getting into some deep stuff here. It has to do with your nature. If your nature hasn't been changed, it don't matter how well you perform with your deeds. Your eternal destiny is determined by your nature, not your actions. Come on somebody. Because some of us don't look very saved, some of the things we do. Come on. And there's some folks that look a lot more saved than we are that ain't going to heaven. Can you hear that? Did you hear that? These folks that act a whole lot better than me and you do. I know better than I, they better act better than I do. I know there's some folks if you followed them around with a camera and you followed me around with a camera, you'd say I was the heathen. And they were the saint. But it ain't about outward stuff. You can whitewash tombs. You can put perfume on caskets. What's inside? What's been done inside that you can't see? Now, what I say at any funeral cannot alter the destination. Those first four people that I buried, not one word could I say to alter their destination. Not one. Your loved ones that I've buried. People of them from this church that we love that we buried. Not one thing a preacher can't preach a funeral. Would you preach my funeral? No. You preaching it now. All I ask you is just give me enough stuff to work with that I ain't gotta lie too bad. You preaching your funeral right now. What I do is conduct the service. And I can't alter I s I have I have I've been to some funerals that was a hoot. Y'all been to some of them? I mean the preachers up there talking about this person, you say, Well, who is that in that casket?" That ain't the guy I knew. Huh? You been to some of them? We don't know. So I can't preach you in or preach you out. But what I can do, especially in the realm of suicide, when there's already so much guilt and shame and condemnation and the stigma that goes along with it that even the family wants to die and never go out in public again because everybody knows. I cannot change the destination. But what I can do is make sure that I minister love, grace and compassion to a family and friends that are left behind with some unanswered questions. They don't need more of my condemnation, my judgmentalism, my being God and assuming God just like their loved one tried to assume the role of God and make sure that I can tell them well for certainty this and for certainty that. All I know is God knows a man's heart when he takes his last breath and I choose to leave that person's destiny in the hand of a a just loving God that does all things well, and I know that He don't make any mistakes. I make plenty of them, so I don't need to muddy the water. I hope this has helped you. And I hope it don't make you want to go out and commit suicide. (laughs) Because I don't know what you'll say to God if you do. Don't you go up there and say, Preacher told me. I'll get you. When I get there, me and you will tussle. What I do want to say is that if there's anybody here today whose heart's been broken by someone you loved taking their own life, would you let the same grace that saved you now wash over your heart and hold you and let God's love and His compassion minister to you. And may I tell you that God knew your loved one's heart and I'll guarantee you He did what was right and what was good.